So we find ourselves this Mother's Day in the middle of our 50 Days of Transformation series, and I think it's interesting how God laid this out, no plan on my part, um, that we're going to go and we're going to talk about relationships today, about how we can allow God to transform our relationship. And specifically, I want to look at how to make our relationships better by diffusing the fears that can ruin our relationships. And to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the very first book, the very beginning of the first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at the first couple, Adam and Eve. Because this is where all of our problems started, you know. We, we've, thank you, Adam, and you know, thank you, Eve. Um, because all of the relational conflicts, all of the need for relational transformation really goes all the way back to our original sin. You know the story. You know the story that God created a universe because God wanted to create an earth. He wanted to create earth to be a sustainable environment for human beings because God wanted a family. If God had not wanted a family, he would not have created anything that we see In the universe, everything in the universe that God created was for the sole purpose of having a family. And he wants you. He wants us in his family. So he made Adam and he put him in the Garden of Eden. Perfect paradise. And Adam had everything that he could possibly ever want, except Adam was lonely. Because he noticed that each of the animals had a mate. And God intentionally did not create a mate For Adam, and I think God did this on purpose, I think he wanted Adam to realize that he had a deep need. He wanted him to realize what he would need in his own life. So God takes Adam and forms him out of, it says, the dust and the dirt. And God formed Adam out of the dust, out of the the dirt, and he breathed his breath of life into Adam. And then Adam... Later, when he recognizes, I am alone, God said it's not good for man to be alone in Genesis chapter 3. He says, I'm going to make him a a helpmate, suitable to help him meet his needs. And God created Eve, but he doesn't create, it's interesting, he doesn't create her the same way that he created Adam. He takes a bone from Adam and he creates woman. He creates Eve from this rib. That's the substance that God used to make the first woman. And I think there's a lot of symbolism here that's important that that God took this bone, the closest bone to Adam's heart from his side, to symbolize that husbands and wives, men and women, would walk through life side by side as co-equals and that it was from the closest place to his heart to symbolize how husbands are to love their wives and that this relationship should be based on this deep love together. Now, things go along pretty good. We don't know how long they go along, they go well. But this man and this woman, they end up with a perfect marriage, the only perfect marriage, by the way, the only perfect relationship, because there's no sin. Think of what your relationship would be like if there was no sadness, no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no deceit, no lying, no manipulation, no jealousy. None of these things were in their relationship. And they were the only couple to have a perfect relationship. Now, a lot of brides and grooms, when they walk down the aisle, they think they are just perfect for each other, that they have a perfect relationship. We don't want to burst their bubble, but they'll figure it out by the end of the honeymoon, usually that there are no 
perfect relationships. Well, there was one. But as soon as sin entered into the world, it broke that relationship and it broke everything. It created so much conflict. You know the story. Satan comes to Eve. He lies to her. He deceives her. He says, didn't God say that you couldn't have, you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? God didn't say that. You know the story. God never said you couldn't eat from any of the trees. In fact, God said the opposite. He said you could eat from every tree in the garden except only one. And he wanted to give mankind a choice. It made it as simple as possible. There's only one wrong choice because God wanted us to make the choice to love him. He didn't want to create robots that didn't have the freedom of choice themselves. So Satan says, God's lying to you. You know, you, you say that God says, we'll die if we eat this. And Satan says, you're not going to die if you eat from the fruit of that tree. He says, in fact, you'll be as wise as God. You'll be your own God. Did you know that every temptation that we ever experience really boils down to that? Am I going to trust God, what God wants, what God says? Or am I going to or am I going to be God in my life? Am I going to trust God or am I going to be God? So Satan says, look, you need to do this because you know better than God what will make you happy. God doesn't want you to be happy, but you should do what you want to do because you know what will make you happy far greater than God knows. And Eve fell for that line. Of course, we've been falling for that line ever since. Let me read you the story from Genesis, and then we'll look at the fears that we, that we deal with. This is Genesis 3, 6 through 19. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Circle the word shame. This is where shame enters the world. They had ne- there had never been any shame any guilt, there never been any fear prior to this moment. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied. I heard you were walking in the garden, so I hid. Circle that word hid. I was afraid. Circle the word afraid. There's the word afraid again. I was afraid because I was naked. In verse 11, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, this is my favorite part. The man replied, it was that woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. You see the humor in that? And and I ate it. He blames Eve. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She blames. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, because you disobeyed me, there's some consequences. Dum, 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 dum. Because you disobeyed me, in other words, because you didn't do what I told you to do, there's going to be a curse now, and everything is broken. One of the things that's going to be broken is childbirth. He says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain 
you will give birth. How many of you moms want to give a testimony to that? How long was the pain? Just flash up how many hours. Yeah, you were in painful labor. He says, and I will just... And you will desire control to control your husband, but he will rule over you. In other words, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be domination issues. There's going to be distractions. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be a power struggle in your relationship from now on. Boy, isn't that true? And, and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. You can thank Adam for all the weeds in your front yard. Adam, all the weeds. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return from the ground in which you were made. For you were made from dust, and dust to dust you will return. This is a fascinating story that is filled with Enormous amounts of spiritual truth. We could do a whole series on Genesis 3. We could probably do three series on Genesis 3. But I just want to point out the relational truths because we're talking about how to be relationally transformed or how to allow God to transform our relationships during this spiritual growth campaign that we're in. Because in this story, we see the three basic fundamental fears that pop up in every single relationship. You can use what we're going to talk about today in your marriage, but you can also use what we're going to talk about today in your relationship to your children or your relationship to your, to your siblings or your relationship to your parents or your relationships at work or your relationships in the church. Every single relationship with your friends, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, these three fundamental fears that started in the first relationship in Genesis 3 are the same relational fears that we still deal with today because of the sin that's present in our lives and in everybody else's life. And these fears destroy the potential that we have in our marriages, in our families, in all of our relationships. So I want you to jot these down. How our fear ruins our relationships. And the first thing I want you to put down is my fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of exposure makes me distant. Why can't I get close to people? Why can't I have a close relationship? Maybe you say, well, I'd like to be closer to my wife or I'd like to be closer to my, uh, to my husband or I'd like to be closer to my kids or closer to my parents. Why can't I be closer to the people in my life. Well, it's the fear of exposure that makes us distant. Here's the truth. There's a lot in us that we don't like. When you look in the mirror and you see that person looking back, there's a lot about that person you don't like. A lot of stuff in there. And we don't like it about us. And because we don't like it about us, we don't want anybody else to see it. We certainly don't want anybody else to see the things that we don't like about ourselves. The things that we don't accept about us, we're afraid they won't accept. They won't accept us. So we keep our distance. The closer we get to people, the more they see our blemishes, the more they see our, our mistakes, the more they see our faults, the more they see our failures, our weaknesses. So we keep people at an arm's length. We want to control what they see. 
about us because the fear of exposure that people will know things about us that we don't want them to know, that helps us, that keeps a distance. In verse 9 and 10 it says, Then the Lord called, called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you were walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. By the way, whenever God asks us a question, you need to just know this. Anytime that God asks a question, he's not asking the question for his benefit. He already knows the answer. He knows the answer to our questions, even when we don't know the answer. God asks us these questions for our benefit. God asks Adam this question, not for God's benefit, but for Adam's benefit, because God wants Adam to own up. He wants him to man up and to accept responsibility for the fact that he had run away and that he was hiding. Any transformation that's going to happen in any of these seven areas in our lives, they have to include us owning up to our part in whatever's messed up any one of those areas of our life, whatever needs to be transformed. We've got to own up to our contribution, our choices that have been made. As long as we think, well, you know, I've got a great marriage. Oh, I've got a great marriage, relationship with my kids. As long as we're saying to ourselves, it doesn't need to change. Nothing's, it's not that bad kind of thing. I, you know, it's like in recovery. I can quit whenever I want. You know, it's no big deal, you know, kind of a thing. But as long as we're in denial, there's no recovery. As long as we're in denial, there's no transformation. So it starts with us owning up and being honest to God. And being honest with ourselves. We talked about lying to ourselves a couple of weeks ago. Lying to ourselves that our relationships are fine when really the truth is our relationships could be a whole lot better. We've got to admit, are my relationships not what it could be? Or even maybe should be? There's a whole lot that could, could be better right now. So the question that I would ask us to ask ourselves is, what are we pretending isn't a problem? in our relationships because we're afraid to face the truth. What are you pretending isn't a problem in your relationship because you're just afraid to face the truth? God doesn't want you to fake it. He wants you to face it. He wants you to face it when it comes to fear. So what are you pretending to not know about so you don't have to face it or deal with it? I was afraid and I hid. When we're afraid of vulnerability, afraid of being open, afraid of being honest, afraid of letting people see us who we are, it makes us distant from them. One of our deepest needs is to be loved, to be known and to be loved. God fulfills that deepest need, but he wants us to experience love here on earth with other human beings that know us and still love us. So I want you to notice the damage that fear does, this fear of this fear in our relationship of being known, this fear of having someone get too close, of being exposed. Three things. Three things fear brings into my relationship with God. The first one is shame. Once they disobey God, the first thing that entered this relationship was, was shame. When you disobey, shame enters into your relationship at the moment. Verse 7, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Fear is often based in shame. When you carry a lot of shame in your life, you, you are easily embarrassed. When you carry shame, you feel embarrassment. 
almost more than anything else. And you'll do almost anything in your life to avoid embarrassment. That's kind of the, the symptom that you're carrying unresolved shame is this fear of embarrassment. Phase one is, is they felt shame. Phase two is the cover-up. You feel that in? Literally, they covered up. What happens when we feel ashamed? We try to conceal who we really are, our true selves. In verse 7, it says, So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now today, we have a much more sophisticated ways of covering ourselves, covering up who we really are. We don't use fig leaves anymore. We use a lot of different, a lot of different things. For instance, some people use humor. To cover up, to keep people at a distance. They're funny. They're the class clown. You, you know, the class clown, it's, it's kind of stereotypical. They're the life of the party, but nobody ever really gets close enough to really know them. They're able to entertain and make everyone else laugh, but they're so sad or depressed themselves. You look at someone like a Robin Williams who was able to, to entertain with humor so many people, but had this dark cloud of depression in his own life where he couldn't let people into that, that closeness. Maybe, maybe you try to cover up your insecurities by being uh, a perfectionist, by putting an image out there that you got it all put together. I mean, you got the right clothes, you got the right accessories, you got the right haircut, you got the right car, you say the right things, you use the right words. You've got it all put together. You are less the bling, you're just a perfect picture. But the reality is you don't have it all together. You're just like everybody else. In every sense of the word. But you kind of present yourself that image of perfection. That's why they made Photoshop, right? You've got, a, you've got a filter and a Photoshop for every situation. Why do we do that? We do this out of fear. Today, a lot of people are hiding behind an online presence, aren't they? I mean, when you read, i got to be careful when I say this, because when I said this word in the first service, all of a sudden it got suspended on this particular platform. So if you read someone's, timeline you'll notice that man all the vacations all the perfect pictures all the perfect angles and we don't it's because it's not facebook it's fake book right hopefully it's still streaming i don't know how that happens you don't believe everybody's online persona do you well nobody believes yours either third phase is distance from God. So you got shame, you got cover up, and then it creates this distance from God. Genesis 3a, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Some of you, you've been hiding from God your whole life. You've been running from God your whole life. He's the last person you should hide from. He's the last person you should run from. He's the person we should run towards. But the reason I'm afraid to tell you who I really am is because I'm afraid you won't, you won't like who I really am. So we put up walls and we wear masks and we, we choose filters and angles. And, and because we're thinking if I really shared with you who I really am, not who I'm pretending to be, but who I really am, and you don't like me, then it's like tough luck. I, I, that fear of rejection is so big. So there's no way we're going to let people see the real us because you might reject it. We not only start fearing people, we start fearing God out of shame. Look, God does not expect you to be perfect. He never has expected you to be perfect. 
He would love for you to be honest. God wants you to own up and to be honest. So the first fear is the fear of being exposed. That causes me to be distant, distant from other people and my relationships, and eventually distant from God. The second fear that we see in Adam and Eve is the fear of disapproval. Now here's what the fear of disapproval does. The fear of disapproval makes me defensive. We feel that in the fear of disapproval makes me defensive. And we see this in Adam's life, in Eve's life, and we see this in our relationships as well. We move from simply hiding and running and covering up to now we're defensive. And when we're defensive, we're counter-punching, we're counter-attacking. We're not just excusing ourselves, we're accusing others. In this stage where I have this fear of disapproval, I start pointing fingers at everybody else and start talking about everybody else's problems and everybody else who causes and blame. The more critical a person is, you move from excusing to accusing, the more critical a person is, the more you know that they fear disapproval. I'll say that again. The more critical, the more perfectionistic, the more attacking somebody is. If you've got somebody that's always critical of other people, always attacking other people, always blaming and deflecting and gaslighting other people, you know that that, has, that person has a fear of disapproval. That's how it shows up. I'm going to point out all of the faults of everybody else, you know, they say things like, yeah, well, but you did that, but you did, well, you did, but, but you did this. You know, and they can, out, they can outlast you in that argument. Genesis 3.12, like I said, this is my favorite part. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, I, and I ate it. So Adam takes it like a man, blames his wife. And really, he's not even blaming his wife. If you really read that closely, what you discover, who's he blaming? He's blaming God. Adam's like, there's only one other person on the planet, so I'm going to blame her and you. How he did that, I don't know. There's, not, there's only two people on the planet. He blames two others, and not him. Not his fault. The woman you gave me, God. If you hadn't given me this woman, God, me and you, we'd be like this. We were close. Now, you, you know... This wife that you gave me, you know, she, she's got it all messed up. And Adam's blaming not only Eve, he's blaming God for his choice. He's passing the responsibility. He doesn't own up to any of it himself. And Eve, she wasn't any better. She wasn't willing to accept responsibility. Genesis 3.13 says, the serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. So Adam blames his wife. Eve blames the snake. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Come on. It's Mother's Day. You're going to get dad jokes all day. And the first service groaned for a minute. The fear of disapproval makes me defensive. This happens in our marriage. This happens in our relationships all the time. If anybody says anything to us, if someone says anything that has the slightest disapproval, we immediately get defensive. We feel attacked. Well, you never, and you always, and we start retaliating back. We either explain it or we take. We go from acute, from excuse to accuse. My fear of exposure makes me distant, and my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. There's a third fear that we see in the relationship of Adam and Eve. And in our relationship, and that is the fear of losing. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. 
Now, look, I know I've met a lot of control freaks in my, in my life. A lot of people who they want to control all of the outcome and all of the circumstances. Here's the thing. When you have a fear of losing control, this is what happens in their life. The result of Adam and Eve's sins, they lost control. They lost control of everything. They lost control of their future. They lost control of their destiny. They lost control even of their of the place that they lived. They're kicked out of paradise. Now they're feeling totally out of control. Like things are totally out of control. Why? Because they were out of control. And folks, they have been out of control ever since then in all of our lives. Most of the things that we would like to control, we feel like well, the whole world's out of control. It's always been that way. You feel like, I've got to control things. You can't control. You can't control the people in your life, even no matter how much you try. You can't control. You can't manipulate and control them. You may think you are. There may be some dysfunction that lets you believe you are, but the reality is you can't control anybody, what they do, what they say. You can't control your spouse. You can't control your kids. You can't control the economy. That's for sure. You can't control this little microscopic virus. Good grief. Suspended the whole planet for a year. Almost everything's out of our control. And that's why God says, if you want peace in your life, you're going to have to surrender your fake control, surrender your control to me. Because the more out of control I feel, the more controlling I become. The more out of control I feel, the more controlling I become. I start bossing everybody around. I start marshalling the troops. I start making demands. I start... You know, defending and demeaning and demanding and and I start protecting myself. The more insecure you feel, the more you feel like you've got to have your own way. You've got to control the outcome. If you're secure, you don't feel like you have to have your own way every time because it doesn't matter that much. You're secure. But if you're insecure, you fight hard to control every little thing in your life. And all of these things are really uncontrollable. Our only way to find peace is in our relationship with God to say, God, I'm going to let you be the general manager of the universe. I'm going to resign, and I'm going to let you control all the things in my life that are uncontrollable because God, he's a big, big God. He can do that. This comes right from Genesis 3. Verse 16 says, and you will desire to control. You will desire to control your husband. He'll rule over you. This is where the war, the battle of the sexes began right here. The misunderstanding between men and women, husbands and wives, all this confusion, all this conflict, all this jockeying, all this power and position, all this treating, one gender treating another. You know, they go from Adam and Eve, peace on earth, to sin enters in, and now it's men are from Mars and women are from Venus, right? It's that fast. And it goes all the way back to this situation here where sin comes in selfishness comes in. It's not, it's not a lot of fun to be in a relationship that's built on sin and selfishness, is it? Many people are experiencing that now or have experienced that. So what is the antidote to transform a relationship that has these three fears in the relationship? The fear of exposure, the fear of disapproval, the fear of Losing control because that causes me to be distant, defensive, and demanding in my relationship. What is the antidote? The antidote to fear is love. The antidote to fear is love. 
1 John 4, 18 says, Perfect love expels or casts out all fear. Circle all, all fear. So you want to get rid of fear in a relationship? You've got to get God's love in that relationship. You want to get rid of fear in your career? You've got to get God's love in that career. You want to get fear out of your education, out of your school? You've got to get God's love in those areas. Because wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. The opposite of fear is not, is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. Whenever you're afraid, you're not being loving. Because perfect love casts out all fear. So we have to learn to live in God's love. This is the result of the second part of this verse. It says in 1 John 4, 18b, If we are afraid... It is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So how do I learn to live in God's love? How do I learn to experience his perfect love? I'm going to give you three things right at the end. I know I'm not going to teach these. I didn't teach these in the last. I'm just going to let you fill these in, okay? Because of all the Mother's Day stuff, we're going to skip the content. If you're going to be coming to your small group this week, you're going to be talking about more content about how to be uh, the right kind of friend, what kind of the right kind of friends, the characteristics of the right kind of friends to make your close friends. How do I learn to live in God's love? There's three things you got to do every day. Every single day, number one, I surrender my heart to God. Before you even get out of bed, you say, God, I want to give you my heart today. God, I want to give you my life today. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. From the very beginning, every day, every single day, God's in it transformation business, transforming our hearts. We've talked about this. I surrender my heart to God. Second thing I do, I've got to remember some things, four things specifically. Every day I remember. Every day I remember these four things. Number one, I remember I'm completely accepted by God. God accepts you just the way you are. God accepts you with all of your insecurities, with all of your warts with all of the problems with all the habits in your life god accepts you just the way you are he loves you just the way you are that's the second thing i've got to remember i'm unconditionally loved god accepts you the way you are he loves you the way you are there's nothing you can do to make god love you any more than he already does so stop trying to get god's love you already have it there's nothing you can do that causes god to love you any less so there's no sin that you can commit. There's no word that you can say. There's no attitude that you can cop that will cause God to love you any less than he already loves you. Because God doesn't love you because of what you do or don't do. And God doesn't love you because of who you are even. God loves you because of who he is. That's why he loves you. So I've got to remember I'm completely accepted. I've got to remember I'm, I'm unconditionally loved. Third thing I've got to remember, I'm totally forgiven. God has totally forgiven. If you're in Christ, if you've accepted Christ's payment for your sins, God looks at your ledger. The word that he uses is righteousness. He credits Christ's righteousness onto your account. So when he looks up Jerry Walsh, what does Jerry Walsh owe me? Nothing. I have a clean slate. It's just as if I've never sinned. That's what justified means. It means just, it's just as if I've never sinned. When God looks at 
my life and he looks for the sin in my life, there's no sin there. Why? Because Christ's righteousness has been accredited because I'm totally, fully forgiven. I'm not only fully forgiven for all the sins I've done, but all the sins I'm going to sin today, tomorrow, next week. Whatever your sins you're going to commit today, you're like, but those are in the future. How could I be forgiven for those? All of your sins were in the future. When you go back 2,000 years ago to when Jesus died on the cross and God forgave you of your sins, weren't they all in the future? Is there anybody more than 2,000 years old? Are you 2,030 years old? You know, no, nobody's around. So all of our sins here were all in the future. All of your sins have been forgiven. Past, present, future. So I've got I to gotta remember every day I'm completely accepted. I'm unconditionally loved. I'm totally forgiven. And then finally, I'm considered extremely valuable. What are you worth? What is your net worth? We want to talk about net worth like, will you take your assets and minus your liabilities and you, that's your net worth? No, that's not your net worth. You're worth what was paid for you. You're worth Jesus. When God says how, when he puts me on a scale, he says, what is Jerry worth? What balances that out? Jesus does. I love Jerry as much as I love Jesus. Now, that's hard for us to understand. How can God love us as much as he loves Jesus? But that's what he says. He says that you are a joint heir with my son Christ, that you have been adopted, grafted into my family, that you're a child of God. God loves you as his child as much as he loves Jesus, his child. The father loves the son. The father loves you as much as the father loves the son. Hard for us to understand. But on Mother's Day, it's probably the easiest day you'll ever understand it. Because moms, you have a love for your children from the instant they're born, all of your children. Just the same. And God does too. So every day I surrender my heart to God. Every day I remember I'm completely accepted. I'm unconditionally loved. I'm totally forgiven. And I'm considered extremely valuable. And then number three, every day I offer that same love to others. I offer that same love to other people. When I, If I could remember this every day, it makes loving people very easy. Told you we'd get out on time. Let's pray. Just in your mind as we bow our heads. Why don't you pray a prayer to God and just say, Dear God, just, you can just say me too on all of these. Dear God, I admit I've made a mess in my relationships. They're complicated. They're broken. They're not the best. I've often settled for less than the best. And my relationship needs transformation. So, God, I'd like you to begin by changing me. Change my half of the relationship equation. Father, please deliver me from these three fears that I've learned about today. I can see how they make me distant and defensive and even demanding. So today and each day from now on, I want to surrender my heart to you. Why don't you just say that to him now? God, I'm doing this right now. I'm surrendering my heart to you today. Again today. Just say, God, I surrender my heart to you. I want to learn to live my life in your love. Fill me with your love. Please replace my shame with your love. When I'm afraid to let others see the real me, remind me of how you see me. Then say this. Say, God, thank you that you accept me completely. Then say, God, thank you that you love me unconditionally. Now say, God, thank you that you forgive me totally. And say, thank you that you paid such a high price to save me. 
And dear God, help me to accept others as you've accepted me. Help me to love others just as you have loved me. Help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. And help me to value others just as you have valued me. Say, dear God, I want to be known as a loving person. So help me to extend grace to the people around me. Help me to express faith in the people around me. Help me to expect the best of the people around me. Lord, help me to endure the worst when it happens. Because I want to live my life in love. Your love. And I humbly ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello again. So glad you could join us this Sunday on Mother's Day. As always, it's been an honor to be your online host. I enjoyed connecting with you guys in the comments today. I hope that you'll continue along with us next week, either online or in person at our 9 or 1045 service. Have a great rest of your weekend. See ya.